Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. All right, this is Dyke Drummond, the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. I'm here with Dr. Tanya Kaler, whose website is at joyinfamilymedicine.com. We're going to talk burnout stories. But first, as always, let's escape the whirlwind. So everybody, go ahead and take a big, deep breath. Let go of anything that doesn't need to be here right now. And pop out of the whirlwind with the two of us. Let's do that one more time with some flutter lips. Big breath in. Just really let it rip. So we're outside the whirlwind. Let's talk burnout. So, Tanya, tell us your burnout story. Well, you would think that it might have started a long time ago when my husband and I were both in medical school and residency together with children. Oh, hang on a second. We got some background here, don't we? <laughs> hang on a second. You and your husband were married in medical school and residency? Yeah. And when did you have your children? First one was an undergrad, second one medical school. Oh my. Yeah. Really untraditional. <laughs> so in medical school, you had two children and you carried yeah. two children through your residency program. Yeah. Wow. Okay, great. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got through residency and actually uh, did well. And I practiced for about eight years in Florida. Part of that time was with a multi-specialty group. And then part of the time I was actually medical director of an indigent care clinic. And that was all fantastic. And I started really missing academic medicine. Uh, started thinking I really wanted to get into it. Yes. What aspect of academic medicine did you convince yourself you were missing? Oh, just the knowledge. Like you've got to remember, like this is back before we had the electronic up to date where I could get all the latest information quickly, right? Yes. So I had to go to like conferences to learn the latest. And I loved everything I heard and really wanted to stay on the cutting edge. You know, when I was a resident, I loved pouring into medical students. And I really saw myself with things that I could pass on that would be helpful. Teaching. To residents. Yeah, teaching. So fast forward, my husband started reading, I don't know, hiking or climbing books. And he said, we should move to Alaska. And I was like, I'm not moving to Alaska. <laughs> fast forward. And about eight years after finishing residency, we moved to Alaska. And lo and behold, they had a residency program with an opening. And I was thrilled. And I wore many hats and I loved every single one of them. So everything from curriculum development to I was in charge of all the didactics and small groups and moving pieces and, you know, advising residents and teaching on wards and precepting in clinic and caring for the underserved, like all of these fantastic things. Wow. And the problem was I'm a perfectionist. Oh, like so many. all of that and it all needs to be perfect. How old are your kids at this point in time? They're okay, like teenagers, so when, right? Yeah. So one had just started college and one was in eighth grade. Yeah. So we were all in. And so I wanted to do everything perfectly. And I did not see perfectionism as an enemy. I saw it as something that was positive and took pride in it, which meant I worked nights and weekends because 
you don't have enough admin time to get it all done. Well, then let's just say that perfectionism is an ally in performance for physicians. And we all carry that as a piece of our conditioning, but it can become an overused strength. I admit to overusing it. Um, (laughs) Also, I had that big people pleaser aspect to me and also really relied way too heavily on external validation. Well, and let me just point this out because it also plays a role. I've never met you before today, but you are a petite, attractive woman too. Well, I'm not sure exactly how that went into the burnout. Oh yeah, that's part of the perfectionism and the people pleasing and the overachieving. I'm just going to put it out there because it's in the field. Just put it out there. (laughs) Well, what ended up happening, as you can probably predict, is... I got to the point where I would come home and I was checked out. Like all I could do was sit on the sofa and yes, couldn't engage. Please don't bother. Catatonic. Yeah. And it used to be just on Sundays that I would get that feeling in the pit of my stomach that tomorrow I had to go back to work, but they became daily. I started recognizing that I had a very short fuse and a low tolerance for others lack of perfection. Can I check something real quick? Yeah. Did you have any of this come in your little inner voice? Did it ever say something like, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this? Did you ever hear that? Yeah. But you know, I feel like I ignored it or didn't hear it until late in the game. Did you ever hear this one? Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get hit by a car on the way to work and I won't have to see (laughs) patients today. I did think that if I needed an appendectomy or something, it would give me a nice little break. (laughs) There you go. Oh, goodness. But yeah, so it amplified to the point, And it was just a very small straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sure somebody observer could have seen it coming. I didn't see it coming. But when the straw hit, I was done. Turned in my notice and I was done. So I left academics. And of course, I still stayed in as locum so I could come and fill in because I really, really love working with the residents and pouring into them. But I found this husband and wife own this great clinical practice they've had for over 20 years, and they set it up to enjoy their practice and enjoy medicine. And so I was able to work part-time with them. I had flexibility. I had autonomy. I had enough time to get my things done. And I enjoyed my patients. You know, just like I had this time, I would say I was healing. I would say I was actually mm-hmm. out of the whirlwind. But I was missing some key components of not going back, (laughs) backwards. See, the difference is, see how complicated this whirlwind is. And and if you're just listening, I have a stick figure in a whirlwind that has 16 different colors and it's really bushy. You switch that out for one color and one little swirl, right? And you get a chance to recapture your bandwidth. Right. And slowly, I was interacting with um, some women physicians groups and went to a couple conferences. Sasha Shilkut, I don't know if you know her. She has a conference called Brave Enough that I went to. I really, honestly, I went because I wanted to meet my online friends in real life. There you go. And the content blew me away because she was talking a lot about burnout, which I had not actually even identified that word with what I had experienced. And I started learning things about practicing gratefulness. And after a few years of healing, about last year, actually, I was at the conference um, again with a friend and we're listening to these phenomenal leaders. And I'm thinking, wow, I've got too much margin in my life now. You know, I've got this nice (laughs) part-time job. I love life, but I miss residents. I miss projects. I miss 
leading. I was brainstorming with my friends, like, how can I fill the margin without going back? (laughs) And actually, a friend of one of those friends is a physician coach. And she said, you should hire me. And I was like, oh, no, I like my life. I don't need a coach. Because in my mind, a coach was only for those who were in the misery, right? Right. I had no clue. And I was no longer struggling. Anyhow, through a series of conversations, I ended up hiring her as a one-on-one coach. And she had me join her 12-week women physicians course. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll join it. And so I was learning so many amazing things. Like, why don't we teach this stuff to our children, number one? <laughs> but number two, I really think I could have avoided burnout with a lot of that. Anyway, so it was really, she knew what she was doing. She knew I needed to see that because she knew that I was going to end up on a trajectory where I wanted to work with residents. And she thought what she was doing on the attending level would be a very successful model with the residents. So that's kind of how I got here. Well, and let me just say that the retrospectoscope has us always wondering, you know what, if I'd have met that coach earlier... I might not have had to go through all that. And I say, oh, hooey. You know, there's only (laughs) one way out and that's through. And if you didn't have the crucible of burnout, you wouldn't actually learn the lessons that you've learned. Let me point out one thing that perhaps you did. And I know that I did. When I hit my burnout wall in 1999, I actually uh, felt it as a physical sensation, like I was being choked when I went in to see patients. And I actually signed my resignation and walked straight away from my career and only uh, was able to put food on the table as a physician, as a walk-in doc for several years afterwards. And it sounds like you had an impulse to, to get to leave, to walk away but had a support mm-hmm. system um, mm-hmm. as a coach. And I know you coach residents and other people. What are your thoughts about when you know that you can't go further, simply walking away? What would you t- tell somebody who says, I'm out of here, I'm going to quit, I'm going to chuck it all, and I'm going to walk away? What do you tell them? You know, I spend a lot of time talking about, um, because I, I really like the causal coaching model. Um, and so I spend a lot of time of saying, you know, it may be time for you to leave, but what I want my clients to do is get to a clean mindset first. So they're making that decision from a really good place and not from a reactionary drowning type of place. Yeah. The way I say it is, I know that you want to run away, but if you had another option, what would you run towards? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things I tell people is you can avoid everything that you don't want. This I have to put a little visual in here. And if you're listening, I'm facing to my left right now. You can avoid everything that you don't want and you still won't get what you want because the only way to get what you want, and now I'm facing right, is to figure out what that is and go get it. And I have to actually say that two and three times in a row in front of an audience of doctors before they finally start nodding their head and getting it because we spend all of our time trying to figure out bad things and avoid them. Right. And I will go on record as saying, I think there are a lot of system things that could be improved in medicine. But I'm not a systems person and somebody else is a systems person. They can be working on that. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we all have to be miserable in medicine because the change of those things are very slow and learning some of these tools, going back to how we're thinking and the narrative in our head and believing false things. Like if I take a self-care day, that's very selfish. Wimp. Yeah. Right. 
like getting rid of those things can uh, make you so much more present and you can actually find contentment, if not even enjoyment in what you're doing. So while we're waiting for those systems people to change things, you can be happy. And I also tell some of my clients, they have all these brilliant ideas about how medicine should change, especially in the residency world, that if they want to be the best change agent they can be if they can clean up their mindset and pour in some self-care and get rid of the negative self-talk. They're going to be the best change agent they can be. Well, and another thing that I'll throw out to you, because it's a lot of what I do, which is leadership, coaching, leadership development on a couple of different layers. And one is the systems design and structure stuff that you're talking about. But the other is, how do you work with your personal care team. So how do I work with those people that I would have a huddle with? Because I'll tell you that, yes, my attitude is very important. It is how my day is going to go. What kind of day I'm going to have is a choice I make when I wake up. How I'm feeling about things is a choice I make from moment to moment. And that choice can turn something from a negative to a positive experience with a single breath. At the same time, switching your leadership skill set with your care team from I come out of a room and they ask me a question. I stop. I say, I'm taking my doctor hat off now. I take a big breath. And instead of giving an order, I ask a question. Woof, that can change everything in a heartbeat as well. So there are ways to change the system on a micro level in my work team that are as fast and as powerful as working on your inner voice, voices, your inner group home. Yes. (laughs) No, that's absolutely true. We spend some time talking about efficiency and um, leveraging your team to optimize your efficiency is also part of that, right? So the mindset plus other things within your microsystem. I guess I'm so used to working with residents who are angry at the whole big system, right? right? Yes. So um, the man, right? The man. Under my thumb. Um, And there are some things that can be improved. But uh, yeah, I think mindset plus what you can control within your world and within your approach. You know, I taught one resident how to get the list so they know that the patient is there and they have their list in their hand and they go, oh, not a list. It's like, well, you can think of it that way or you can think, great, they've got the list. It's all written down. Can I see the list? Because you can go through it much faster than they can go through a list in their head. And I was like, but just that change in a list is a good thing. He was able to kind of have a different experience. So, I mean, just things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Make lists because you can have them bring it. You can actually encourage them to make it if it's that kind of a person. And then you can decide which of the ones you get one and I get one. And we're going to you're going to pick this brown spot on the back of your hand, and I'm going to pick the chest pain that you were right. <laughs> so we'll, we'll each feel good about the fact that we could put the rest on another appointment. Yeah, yeah let absolutely. That, let me ask you this. When you're working yeah. on the inner game, coaching came from Galway and the inner game of tennis and other things like that originally, right? So right. when you're working on the inner game, are there any particular simple techniques that you introduce people to the inner game with, like take a big breath and step out of the whirlwind. Is there, what is your favorite go-to off the bat? So it depends on if we're talking about in the heat of the moment, a couple of techniques I like is, I like the whirlwind though. I might have to switch and use it. Do it. Um, it's easy to draw too. Yeah, it's great. That's about how my drawings look. That's perfect. Um, Did you see the stethoscope? My, my stick oh, figure has a stethoscope. That's actually, I might not be able to replicate that part. That actually looks know. really good. Check it out. <laughs> 
Um, I like to use some grounding techniques. You know, when you feel it rising, your brain is telling you you're about to die, your heartbeat's rising, anger is rising, or whatever it's going on. Just sit down, your feet are on the floor, your back's against the chair. Nothing is happening right now that you're in immediate danger. No Bengal tiger. So check your own pulse first kind of thing. The other thing I like is the five, four, three, two, one, the look around, notice five things you could see, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, two, two things that, yeah, two things that you can either taste or smell and then one of the other. It just brings you out one? of your head. What's the one? Uh, and one thing that. But, well, it's either taste or smell. If you get two smells, you get one taste or one okay, vice gotcha. versa. Gotcha. Okay. okay gotcha. <laughs> sensory engagement. I like it. Yeah. Okay, cool. It just brings you back to what's going on and gets you out of your head just a little bit. So that is in the immediate moment. The two main things I think with resonance. One is having all these automatic thoughts that they see as facts. This is a train wreck. Like, okay, that is an automatic thought. There's, you're not allowed to beat yourself up with it because that's how you're thinking about it. But I want them to start to recognize and have the awareness that it's just a thought. Other people might have different thoughts. And then the other thing is this narrative that goes on in the back of their mind. Or I have one who actually, she doesn't have voices in her head. She She has images. Mm. So she's one of that small population who doesn't have, when she's reading to herself, she doesn't hear herself talk. She just, she sees images. So either way I get them to identify that because that is just a very powerful thing. Do you know, Dr. Jennifer Hunt um, does a lot with imposter syndrome. She has this great exercise and I don't know if it's original to her or if she borrowed it from somebody else where she has them, once they recognize the narrative that's going in their head, all that negative self-talk, she has them write it down and then get a picture of their child or their niece or nephew or themselves as a child and read it to them like she, you're telling it to that person. And you're immediately, they're just like, I wouldn't say that. Like they have a hard time. And it's just like, then why is it okay for you to be saying those things to yourself? Well, Those are kind of things I like to use. What I've found is that when I work with somebody as a coach, that about 20, 25% of the time, we actually have to journal with the parts. Yeah. And that's uh, Carl Jung's active imagination journaling. I use that as a technique and I teach it. And when I was recovering from my burnout, I think I was working with eight different parts of my personality in journaling with them to actually develop that uh, more mature relationship with the voices rather than have them hijack me. So, And I think what you're talking about is that sense of being hijacked by a strong emotion that comes as a voice in your head. That's probably the most common way people experience it and realize that you're not that voice. That voice is a piece of your personality, but you are not it. And to the extent that it helps, thanks for kicking in here and helping me out. But to the extent that it gets in the way of what you need to do, it's like, thank you for sharing. Now go back and join the others. I'll give you a hug later. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There was a Disney or a Pixar movie that kind yes. of uh, animated all this, right? Like, all yes, the I love that. In the head. I can't remember yes. what it was called, but it was perfect. I watched <laughs> exactly. it three or four times in a row. It was awesome. Well, in case you haven't noticed, Tanya likes to coach and works with residents and residency programs. Tell us a little bit about your practice at joyandfamilymedicine.com. Right now, I'm running uh, six-week programs. And so what I do is I partner with programs to identify some residents that want to participate. And the residency program usually pays for the course itself, and they carve out an hour each week 
of the resident's time. So it's not one more burden on them to try mm-hmm. to fit in something else in their timeline. And so we spend a 45 minute one-on-one coaching about anything they need, they want to talk about that day, right? And we work on some goals and peeling back layers and aligning direction with their purpose and those kind of things. And at the same time, I have some um, small, short video curricular topics that take about five to 10 minutes with a short little assignment. So really only takes about an hour a week. And then I actually get them, I ask them to commit to doing just a little bit of thought work each day. And that involves the last thoughts at night being the three things that went well, uh, you know, the data out of dupe on that. Also ask them to do a thought download, which is basically venting on your computer or on your piece of paper and picking the thing that's not resonating the most and kind of working through what the thoughts and emotions and actions were happening and separating those from the actual neutral facts. I have a quick question for you because I'm pretty much old school. Do you think it makes a difference whether you type it or write it with a pen? That's a great question. I personally do better when I'm writing, but I don't know if that's because I'm also of the error of pens. I would love to know if there's some data. Love it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know of any data if uh, writing versus typing, but that's a good question. There is data out there. But again, the question is, is it the old school nature of the person who's doing the writing or is it the actual instrument that we're using? Okay, cool. Yeah. And then are you still in Alaska? I am still in Alaska. Where? Been here 13 years in Anchorage. Okay, cool. Yeah. In the big city. Yeah, big city. <laughs> any any exactly. last thoughts you'd like to the folks that are listening to hear from you about working with the residents or inner voices or any of those kind of juicy things we talked about? One of the things I like to try to get my residents to really embrace is nothing has gone wrong here. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. That's my only parting thought for today. Right on. So this is Dyke Drummond, the Physicians on Purpose podcast with Tanya Kaler, Dr. Tanya Kaler from joyandfamilymedicine.com, resident wellness, resident burnout, resident coaching, and uh, the return to, to, what did you, what do you call it? Pouring it into the residents. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Thanks. Thank you. 